Hi again. It's episode 13 of First Principles, the leadership podcast from the Ken where each fortnight we go inside the minds of some of India's best-known founders through reflective, expansive and insightful conversations with them. I'm Rohan Dharmakumar, your host, and today we're speaking with Kamal Sagar, the co-founder and CEO of Total Environment. easily one of india's most original real estate and design firms the genesis of total environments signature look trees shrubs and lawns growing out of balconies and rooftops started with the seed that kamal got for his architecture project as a student at iit kharagpur in 1990 he sunk floors into the ground and put plants into roofs his furious professor literally tore apart the sheets he submitted and threw them on the floor nearly 27 years later total environment has established itself as one of the most original and truly design led real estate companies in india its distinctive buildings with red brick facades and overflowing foliage are made like software apartment designs are versioned Customers are allowed to virtually move walls and split rooms using Total Environment's proprietary software. In an expansive conversation that spans his nearly three-decade career as an architect and entrepreneur, Kamal shows us an alternate view of building a company and the incredibly inefficient, frustrating, and yet lucrative sector that is real estate. A word that comes up multiple times in the conversation is. authenticity Kamal I want to take you back to 1990 IIT Kharagpur where you were a student of course and your thesis for which you got a C do you want to tell us why you got a C <laughs> uh well so I was very clear at, uh, in college that I wanted to whatever I was doing was you know i wanted to do what i thought made sense and not necessarily do it just for the grades so uh, the thesis was uh, on sos children's village in bhubaneswar and so i had certain you know concept in mind uh, from understanding you know this the problem and decided that's how i'm going to do it uh, unfortunately my professors um had a very different idea they wanted me to do it in a certain you know in a very different way from that so uh but when i didn't uh listen to their recommendation and just did what i wanted to and i knew that i will therefore get a c so so i did that and i ended up with a c also i i wrote uh, you know it, during those college years um i had always been very rebellious so i also wrote uh, on the uh introduction to the thesis that this thesis is dedicated to renu and sharuk mistri which is where i did my training here in bangalore uh i said it's dedicated to renu and sharuk mistri for restoring much of the confidence taken away from me by this department so i submitted it with that <laughs> so, <laughs> so in many ways you were asking for it i was asking for it absolutely there was also this 
we first spoke about this when we first met back in 2011 um and one of the things that you spoke about was also your belief about integrating plants greenery yeah into architecture where as i understand one of the feedback that you got was is this makes no sense it's yeah. going to lead to seepage it's yeah. going to lead yeah. lead a lot of issues so remove all the plants and all that kind of stuff yeah so that was actually maybe when you said 1990 you meant that uh, thesis was 92 so 1990 was uh, a design uh, studio and the, the design problem given to us was a school a typical elementary school and i had designed it in a ma- manner that the roof of the so the floor of the school was sunk 3 feet below ground level so that the roof was at about 5 feet at kind of eye level of the kids and uh, so therefore it was sunk and then the roof was completely green it was landscaped it had plants growing and all of that and yeah uh, my prof uh, was again uh, used very upset he said you're going you're going to going to have all these seepage issues and if you're sinking the building down the walls are going to be damp how can you do something like this i want you to put the building back up remove all the plants and everything and again i didn't do that i submitted the plans as as it was and on that day he got very very furious he literally tore those sheets apart and threw them on the floor and stomped out of the classroom he was very upset um but yeah <laughs> that belief in many ways the idea of bringing nature in yeah into architecture and into homes etc is in many ways the i think the signature one of the signature themes of total environment today is that not it is uh, so i think from the very beginning what was uh, very clear is that if you if you are designing and creating a home for a family uh, one of the first things that any any human actually looks for is is that connection with nature so even if you are on you know the 14th floor of an apartment you want to connect with with nature so the question was why not why can't you do it why can't you just can't leave a a little garden space from the living room and fill it with soil and plants and 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 do that and that's that's what we did way back in uh, 96 97 and uh, every single home that we have done since then has that uh, garden which yeah has become a signature but uh, we didn't do it with the idea of creating like a usp or something it was just common sense to just do that it was like this makes sense just just do it so yeah it's interesting that you should say that because i went back to my notes mm-hmm. and your first residential project was in 1996 in bangalore cirrus yes. minor yes and from the notes uh it turns out that you actually made a loss yeah um i think you earned about 1.12 crores uh, <laughs> on the entire project while you spent 1.32 crores 137 actually yeah 137 25 right. lakh loss which we knew at the beginning uh that it's going to cost us that much and um uh, also we had made some mistakes like we had not charged separately we didn't know we were just bunch of kids so we didn't know that you, you actually charge separately for car parks and things like that so we had not charged all of that and uh, anyway so we were uh we were locked in with that number and um and it was important at that point in time to you know establish the the product and the you know the ideas that we had and didn't want to wait for 5 or 10 years to slowly get there so we wanted to build what we wanted to build and it was going to cost 137 so there were only two options one is you know build something mediocre which didn't make any sense it was better to then do something else rather than do that or to uh, you know go back to customers and ask for more which we didn't want to do so we so we just decided to build it we so the only way we could do that was to go out there and search for more projects 
which would help to you know finance this one so and on your second project you made a profit of 8 lakhs we set out with a profit of 8 lakhs but that's where we introduced the gardens the very first project series minor didn't have gardens and that idea of bringing in the gardens came with the second one and we introduced them later after having already sold them so the 8 lakh profit there also became a, a 16 lakh loss because we ended up spending 24 lakhs more on the, on the garden so um yeah so but it was there was that very strong when I, mean, i look back very strong inner conviction uh you know uh that we'll get past all this so it was there was never a doubt in the mind that we are asking for trouble that we are going to get stuck possibly or you know how we ever got that thought never crossed the mind it was very clear that you know so what okay this is fine we there is going to be another project we'll make up for this there's going to be a fourth project so didn't even think was that, was that just youth was it the lack of experience i guess yeah it's like it's just with youth. the benefit of hindsight today if you placed yourself in the same situation would you do the same uh, thing again i would absolutely yes <laughs> uh, i haven't changed uh, I, i wouldn't change that at all i i, I I don't think it was just youth I think it was uh, definitely a large part was that but I think it was also very strong conviction that what we are doing makes sense and there are going to be people who are going to pay for it and it's going to work so uh you know it's just a matter of proving it from 1996 fast forward to 2005 mm-hmm. which is when you were starting windmills of your mind in white field that's when we started buying the land yeah that's right yeah. and again from my notes um and this is very interesting right you bought 24 acres of uh managed to acquire 24 acres of land around whitefield um for about 35 crores yeah. and you told me that right after you acquired it you yeah. got a lot of offers from builders who said we'll offer you 300 crores 320 crores in 2008 if you uh, just sell it if you just sell it yeah they're ready to, to buy it uh, but uh, you didn't no because the simple thing was that if i sell it i'm going to pay 35% income tax and we left with 65% of the money to go out there and buy land again so how am i even going to get back and not just that you actually told me and i quote you back in 2011 yeah but i can tell you when we finish the project by 2013 we will not make as profit Correct. even 50% of the offer that we got absolutely. for the land and, and so you knew that you wouldn't make yes. as much money absolutely and we you knew. still decided to continue did yeah. you actually yeah absolutely of- so we knew that we're not going to be able to make that kind of money uh, projects are very unpredictable there are lots of unknown so you know that in a in a project with so many things you're not going to make that kind of money right whereas if you just do a sale of a land it's straight forward you you make the money so we knew we're not going to make the money but uh, we are in this to do projects not to just turn around land so for us the whole opportunity and if you look back now i would never have absolutely no regrets because windmills of your mind turned out to be one of our you know the i mean i so almost like a flagship like a flagship project it uh, it made a huge uh, you know impact on the housing uh, you know design and industry real estate industry all over the country and in many other parts of the world that project so it that that gave us the opportunity to do that all right so it's it's very clear that money or financial returns is not what drove you to start total environment or continue to run it today what is it absolutely it's the it's the opportunity to make a difference to people's lives uh, make a difference on to this planet in some way or the other make a dent <laughs> so that is what uh, really drives all the um, you know all the decisions and everything that we do 
money is important it's it's important to uh, be uh, you know to have healthy profits and make enough money to sustain this in order to do this you need the money not the other way around could you explain to us in a line or two what is total environment the company of which you're ceo hmm that's a deep one i guess um it's many things now to different people when i look at it from actually from the employees from the team it's a place to really do what you want to do there's so many of us in our team who are doing what they really want to do in their lives uh whether it's somebody who's making furniture for everyone or uh somebody else who's working with the uh, you know uh craft masonry or someone else who is enjoying you know working with customers on the e-design platform and creating uh, custom designed homes so it's a platform uh, for many people to express themselves sorry come on i'm i'm sorry to interrupt but it's very interesting for me that you did not start by defining total environment what it means to customers because but you started from the inside what it means for the yeah. people who work there yeah why uh, i that's just what came to me first i think um because that's something that's evolved over the years that's what is what it is now so initially the first 10 15 years it was only about the product and the customer and everything and i think we've done that and we've established that but what is also emerged out of all of this is this platform for everybody to um you know so we've got a, we've got a team of very passionate individual leaders and teams under them which are very unique they don't uh, you know it's it's just happened over time and uh, the kind of things that some of them do it's unbelievable you would not find it in a normal company <laughs> so what so, you seem to be saying is that total environment is primarily a vehicle for a lot of interesting talented creative people to make a dent in the universe yeah. in a collective manner absolutely and the manifestation of it yes is the products that you sell which are really apartments yeah. and real estate etc apartments homes the fnb experiences that we also bring now music all kinds of things um but yeah and i think from a uh at the heart of it is uh authenticity so it's about you know we so we started with home so uh it's about just very simply knowing what you want to do with that with the home and understanding a typical indian family and and just designing for that this there's no rocket science there's no nothing very complicated there is nothing that is uh, you know it's very simple so you just see the problem and you find a very simple solution for it just like the way you would do it for your own home so i think that is what connects a, a lot with with customers because it's it's very simple and um, and of course uh, the different ways in which people bring their own individuality to it i have a lot of questions very quick questions to give our listeners a sense of total environment the company how old is total environment 26 and a half kind of now getting close to 27 how many employees does it have 950 right now can you tell us what its revenue is revenue is so so sales that is the value of sales booked last year was 2002 crores 
revenue is a number in real estate is uh, you know it's uh, the accounting standard requires us to account for revenue only when the project is completed and handed over all right so, so sales then yeah so is sales a is a more representative number yeah and normally i have a question here because i tend to talk largely to founders of tech startups which is what is your valuation and i asked you this question before we were about to start i, I have no idea because it's a completely privately held company and we didn't build it with the idea of selling it or we haven't ever looked at that option uh that's never been the driving force so i don't know what the valuation is <laughs> how old are you i'm 53 and i know you're married because shibani your wife is also who's an architect is also a co-founder at total environment yes very much um are there other co-founders at total environment no not not just now so when we did start there were four of us there were three uh wingmates of, of mine from kharagpur we started together uh but the other three one of them moved on very early within a couple of months to the to the us to pursue another mba uh the other two guys uh moved on the next year to uh to pursue a tech startup so it's just me and chibani do you have kids yeah i have three boys how old are they eldaman is uh 23 now he is uh working in la as he's an architect he completed his architecture last year and he's is working there younger ones are twin boys they are in the 12th grade and uh, one of them is decided to pursue architecture as well he's uh going to go into cornell and the other guy is uh taking some time to figure it out <laughs> right how did you end up as an entrepreneur what's your family history and background before you got into so my IT dad IT. is a structural engineer mom is an artist she's a painter a uh, very very conservative Uh, very simple and a very uh, i would say uh, middle class or lower middle class uh, family dad worked in a um, uh, company called hscl hindustan steel works construction limited in, in their design cell structural design uh, engineer uh, so no uh, entrepreneurship background that way though my grandfather did run a um, farm business and tractors stuff like that and for a period of time in uh, in punjab but um yeah that's in the early 1990s when you graduated from iit was it i'm i'm it it was not a common choice to become an entrepreneur and certainly not in the real estate space yeah. how did you end up there so i never ever imagined i was going to be in the real estate space so one thing i obviously knew is that as an architect at some point in time you're going to have to start your own practice if you really want to do what you want to do right so uh so i knew that it's a matter of time and i somewhere in my head it was you know four or five years of uh work and then set up a practice and start uh you know architecture practice as a architecture practice just designing uh buildings for clients and that's very normal like right? that's what you think in your head uh, uh i had the opportunity to design and build the punawala stud farms in in pune in, uh, in as my first break out of college and i think that changed everything for me uh, basically uh, so this guy mr zawari punawala the younger brother i don't know what it was but he gave me that you know complete freedom and uh, you know just gave that whole project to me to do so i but the only thing is that he said don't give me your drawings and expect me to build all this you're going to stand here and also build it 
which is what I also wanted at that time because I wanted to understand how buildings are built. And I'd, I'd, you know, every year in college, I had worked in some form or the other in summer in the summer vacation. So I had worked on drawing boards and done that. I didn't want to do that anymore. For you know, when I graduated, I wanted to work on the actual construction on a building site, and I got exactly that opportunity. So after doing that. Uh, I decided to then come down to Bangalore in uh, November of '95. Worked for a few months in uh, in a firm again with Renu and Shahrukh Mistry itself. But having built seven uh, buildings in a span of just eight months for the Punawalas uh, over uh, two farms of 150 acres, and with all that freedom to do everything on my uh, you know on my own, I mean, isn't that like a dream come true for an architect? Oh, because yeah. it's almost like it's rare that you get like Absolutely. such a large space clean absolutely uh, that's why i said i don't know how what got into him and why he gave me that it was just kind of i, I think of it as fate it was uh, it was just too good to be true so so yeah so now when i came to bangalore and i worked for a few months uh you know after a few months in in around february or march of uh, 96 i just just decided to quit i didn't have anything uh, but i wasn't comfortable doing you know some one family's house somewhere and you know very small projects and very low down in the chain i was doing making the model with my hands and cutting cardboard and you know all that where i'd been accustomed to building out massive projects so so, so i just project spoiled you correct it did so so i i i just quit i just like you know i can't be you know i just couldn't handle it i was frustrated with uh, the the firm is beautiful renu and sharuk mistry uh, both of them are people that i adore a lot they they really you know i learned a lot from them but it was just me i didn't want to do that anymore so so i quit i didn't have anything uh, initially did things like design marble patterns for iskon temple for a marble guy in banagata road <laughs> 10000 rupees so all kinds of things just to survive every month and uh, so uh, but what happened at that time was while doing some of these projects i ended up getting a few homes and other projects to do uh you know typically you design and then you have to tender out the project and then various contractors bid for it and unfortunately the lowest bidder typically gets the project because the client feels he wants to get it done at the lowest cost and often these uh bids are lower than even the cost that you have estimated for the project so you know that there's going to be something that's going to go wrong along the way and that's exactly what was happening and uh, so it became quite frustrating that you're you know designing these projects and then something else is getting built it's just not what you want to build and that is where this whole real estate thing started because then i started looking out for like actually in parallel what happened was i was also trying to buy a home for myself a one bedroom apartment in bangalore in, in bangalore because i was going to get married to shibani in october and this was you know march so i wanted to just sort that out i wanted like i had 4 lakhs of rupees that i had earned over the years so i had that with me so i wanted to buy a one bedroom apartment so that i can not have to worry about rent every month that was the intention basically so before i get married and that search for a home led me to every corner of bangalore i used to drive on my bike to you know lotta gulla halli in north bangalore or whitefield in those days was a back of beyond yes, place this mid 90s <laughs> and or to btm layout dollars colony all kinds of places every weekend on my bike going and looking at projects and seeing if there's something that i can buy and i realize it's you know there's such a like complete dearth of uh, quality design location service everything is like really difficult i couldn't think of anything that i could buy so so that coupled with this uh, thing made me you know look for some land 
to design and uh, and 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 build uh, and sell with again no proper logic so uh, you know this that part is definitely youth <laughs> no uh, you know it's pretty dumb actually when you look back a slightly different question can you tell us something that happened either this week or in the past few weeks that you're incredibly proud of oh uh i'm not able to <laughs> think of something in the last couple, couple of, of months actually yeah. if you want to um, kind of widen that uh incredibly proud of no i'm i i guess let's let's come back to this okay. in a while then okay what is your view on what do you tell your your parent uh what do you tell your kids what do you tell others about when it comes to choosing a career because so you've I'm, clearly been very obstinate about it and made a lot of mistakes and learned from them but what do you tell others so i'm definitely biased so i always tell them that uh a, 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 so i don't know about career so much but education i always tell them that if you study design you can do anything and so that's what i tell my boys and i always tell them that if you study and architecture is a very good subject because it's it covers not just design but also engineering and a lot of other things actually humanities and you know lots of things about almost every aspect of life so to that extent uh, you know you feel that if you've studied that you're much more not worldly wise that would be a but maybe you just have a much better understanding of uh, a lot more than a pure engineering subject so right? you do so, believe in some form of structured education as opposed to just let's say post 12th um or like you know in the middle of college let's say one of your kids decided to say look i'm doing this startup or i'm joining a startup education is just for yep. uh older people who don't understand how it works today what would you tell them yeah so i i'm pretty open to that actually there's a uh, you know this is strong sense that that's going to be the situation 5 years from now i don't think people are going to be going to college i guess but um um uh, if you can get into a so i despite whatever i talk about you know iit kadakpur i would not give up those 5 years for anything those are tremendous years and whether it's to do with your batchmates and you know your friends in college or the phenomenal library that we had over there or um even the studios everything we we i definitely did learn a lot for me that's it it made a difference to my life so to that extent yeah of course i would i would still encourage kids to to do um something that they like and in a good institution i wouldn't at all recommend going to a very average uh, institution so if it's a good institution that has something You know, why is that you know, what's what's what is it that a good institution provides that an average institution might not be able to um it could be just the you know the your, your friends and the batchmates it could be it. in 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 our in the case of kadakpur it was the library it could be a few it could be just one professor that would make a huge difference to your life or or two uh so it could be any of those things um even the way the course was designed at uh, kharagpur for architecture was uh, phenomenal i mean the kind of subjects that we had uh, it was very very uh, it, it was helpful <laughs> what motivates or drives you 
so sometimes i don't know i think it's that very in, uh, strong inner um uh and it's it's beyond what you can consciously control so it's uh, this inner drive or inner desire to make a difference and um possibly because you also feel very strongly that you can make a difference so you know that if i do this i'm going to make some impact or some positive contribution to people's lives and then you want to do it so could you help us i think pin it down like for instance when your first few projects back in 1996 1997 what did that mean make a difference and what does make a difference mean today so maybe i can tell you a little bit with a few examples sure. so of how it actually has made a difference right so uh, we also have this project of ours in all the way in texas on the other side of the planet and a uh, few months back we have an experience home there that we built which is uh, similar to uh, you know the kind of stuff we do here in our the same philosophy the same exposed brick and everything designed around the courtyard to bring the outdoors in and all of those things and this is a girl who uh, visited this uh, experience home just to check it out and uh, she walked inside and after a few minutes she started crying and our sales uh, head uh, Candice walked up to her and asked her you know ma'am is everything okay can i help you and she said no i'm i'm fine i i grew up in a total environment home in bangalore and this brought back memories so those are the things that make you realize that you are making some difference to someone's life somewhere and and there are many other such um, you know stories of uh, things that have happened and that's uh, but back then uh and that's you 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 asking me about when we started out right how did we yeah because uh, the sense that i'm getting is that making a difference isn't doesn't seem to be an attainable goal in the sense that 26 27 years later you're still talking about making a difference so clearly it's a moving goal post of course and absolutely. its definition changes yeah so i wanted to understand what was your definition 26 years 25 years ago and what is it today and what might it be Ten years from now, so, sure. So the so the definition hasn't changed, but I think it's it is an unattainable goal. So the aspiration at that time and continues to be even till today was to was uh, a few things. One was just quality that is reliable. So a home where things don't fall apart, they don't you don't have leaks, you don't have waterproofing issues, you don't have short circuits, just simple things. And you know, and it's surprising, but the world over. housing is a commoditized uh, thing right and anywhere in even in the western world quality is is bad just simple basic things don't work why is that because it this is, has existed yeah. for centuries absolutely thousands yeah. of years Correct. and it, it there's incredible amounts of money involved yeah, absolutely there's all the talent <clears throat> in the world and yet why yeah. why why is it so so uh, yeah and if you look at the automobile industry which is what 100 100 years 120 years old uh there's a massive difference in the reliability between the two things uh i think the reasons are many um one is it is uh, such a basic need everybody needs a home uh so there's for the companies that are making the homes uh, uh the there's so much of low hanging fruit you just just make it and just deliver nobody is asking you to make it better so you you're able to kind of get away with it that's why so nobody you know even want to do it um 
the other thing i guess is that it's this whole project versus product approach right so the whole industry has worked on a project approach every project is started from scratch you figure out everything at that project level and when you're done with the project you close it and you go and start all over again with very little learning transfer to the next one whereas in in production it is uh, there's a product right uh, in, in manufacturing so you have an iphone three which becomes a four which becomes a seven and a 13 and the right? learning and keeps, from each each one keeps improving and because you're producing thousands of these every small little detail gets that much more attention because you you know you're going to produce it in massive volume so whereas that doesn't happen in this industry in the construction industry you're, you're just doing 100 homes or 150 homes but why there are large enough real estate companies that do thousands and tens of thousands of this thing all over the world as well right so why Very few, isn't actually. there there isn't oh, no honestly there are no real estate companies that are doing it all over the world there are people so real estate has been very localized there are large organizations that have gone out and tried to do Sorry, it i meant that there are companies all over the world that build homes in the thousands each year right. yes. it may be in their own respective country like Correct. for instance perhaps to use an example maybe shobha developers yeah. in 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 uh, right. bangalore etc yes. and yeah. and um, lots more in the west correct so my question is again not to be any specific about any company why isn't there more of productization like you said uh it is it's just i don't know i mean because we started doing the taking this product approach in 2008 and it's working really well for us so i honestly don't know why it's not been done in the past so Uh, I guess what, what, the, what, the, can I can I sorry I'm I'm sorry to be interrupting but when you say that you started adopting a product approach in 2008 what does that mean in the context of homes so uh, so we had this project in uh, Kanakpura road called the Magic Farway Tree and there we had these 3500 square feet duplex apartments 72 of them in one building and when i was doing the next project and i wanted to design a similar size three bedroom apartment it just struck me you know i wasn't able to come up with a design that was better than this one so i kept going back to this because whatever i was coming up with was not and then it was like why am i trying to do it again when I, when we already have something that's there and so good and we should only try to do something different if it's better than this otherwise you stick to this and keep improving this so that was the genesis of that that thought process but in parallel what is also going on in the mind is that if we can do it like a product we'll be able to imp- keep on improving it so we'll be able to give that much more attention to every little part because we we're going to repeat it so so we did uh, so we took the you know com- very consciously at that time decided to do we called this the D35 product and we decided to put the same thing in pune in a project called songs from the wood in bangalore in uh, in in whitefield in uh, phase 2 of magic farway tree we just repeated that same product we made a few improvements so we had d35 what would version this product be when you say d35 yeah. what what does it like what does it mean when you say it's a product is it a design is it a it's it's the it's the 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 unit the home unit so it's a 3500 square feet duplex apartment so if you if you exclude the lobbies and the uh, you know everything else in the building and just look at the home unit as a block that is the product so does that not change project to project because like you know the shapes of the buildings alter etc so are you saying that d35 you, so you can work you can take the d35 as a unit and uh, adapt you can you can combine it with other product units into a tower in different ways and uh, and you can you can repeat it yeah also right, the facade changes from the outside 
and then some amount of customization. So you're saying essentially that 80% of it doesn't change. Actually, the product doesn't change at all, at all. and the product doesn't work if you change even 1% of it. Oh, it has to be 100% the same or mm. uh, at least in terms of, so we do we do a versions, right? So we have D35 version 2, so it is different from the version 1. But within version 2, whenever you're doing uh, you know version 2 anywhere, it has to be 100% the same because that's the only way you can take advantage of the product approach where you're so repeating everything. A version would include... Um, Ceiling heights, room sizes, yeah, where minor things. So, like in the D thirty five version two, for example, the you know we made the shower cubicle a little larger. We moved the the kitchen a little bit so that it would it would face in a slightly different way and get better light. Uh, we changed the entrance. So there's small so in many ways like, you are building homes the way software is typically built, which yeah. is essentially you're exactly. constantly correct upgrading. In fact. Uh, because of e-design, and I think we spoke about that when you interviewed me for the Ken, was that we are actually able to, through e-design, incorporate those changes even along the way. That's the software yeah. you have yeah. as well. We'll yeah. come to that. Yeah. But I think I would be remiss if I did not tell our listeners what total environment means to many of us who've been in Bangalore for a while, because people would have heard 3,500 square foot duple apartments. But total environment, for those of us who've been in Bangalore for a while, is this quintessentially Bangalore kind of apartments, which are what many of us aspire to because like, you know, there are these giant apartments, brick facades, trees coming out of uh, balconies and like, you know, exquisitely landscapes, etc. And of course, they're large, like, you know, for those of you who are in Bombay and like, you know, other cities, it might sound like, you know, did we miss a decimal place here? But perhaps no, that's, that's really what it is. Come on, let's talk about software. You said that in many ways, how you build apartments is how people build software. And you also have software of your own, uh, yes. proprietary software of your own. Uh, tell us about that. So, uh, you know, from the beginning, the other thing that we uh, felt is very important when you're creating a home for someone is to be able to design it uh, to work for them in every way, not just uh, aesthetics and lifestyle, but also functionality and everything else. So, so right from the beginning, we would actually sit with every family and understand their needs and then design each home around their needs. And of course, uh, you can only do a certain number of homes when you're doing it manually. You would, you know, you're constrained by- Manually means on a drafting Sitting table down and, with yeah. the family, listening to them, understanding, going back to the drawing board, drawing, making sketches and concepts and coming back. Uh, with, uh, you know, ideas to them. Uh, so over a period of time, as we scaled up and we're doing, and when we signed up Windmills of Your Mind, for example, at that time, you know, 400 units, and everyone advised us that you'll have to now stop doing this, right? How can you do it for 400? And we were like, you know, this is something that is so important and it's working so well. Why? There's no way we're going to stop this, right? So This implying customization of... Customize, custom interior design. You allow your customers to... Completely design, you know, redesign the interiors so that it works for them. Everybody's very different, right? There's a family with elderly parents. There's another family with three kids or a newborn child. Somebody's got five, you know, three dogs. Somebody's got a sitar at home. Everyone's very different. They've all got all, all kinds of different requirements. So, So we always felt that you have to be able to uh, design around each family. And we've, that's what we did from the beginning. So so around the year 2008, when we were just about to start windmills, we realized that now we have to kind of find a way to 
automate this process or to you know create a software that will allow customers to design it themselves and uh, but design it themselves not just choose options and not things where they could make a mistake so we we were very clear you can't allow them to make a mistake so it has to work all the different so it was uh, so it was very it wasn't very easy so in the beginning we did it uh, we did a makeshift version by 2010 uh, which is very you know i would say 20% automated and 80% still manual so we automated a few parts of the process uh and and we kind of still managed with that but around 2014 to 18 is when we we uh decided that we really need to now you know make this completely automated and we were fortunate to find this really good company called thoughtworks because um we needed a partner who would uh be willing to work with us and uh, get into the depths of what it takes to do this and not just treat it as another software project but really get into brainstorming thinking finding s- solutions because uh you know when you're moving walls in a home and with the walls the switch points are moving and the beds are moving and everything is moving how do you actually control all this right so it wasn't a straightforward uh you know linear thought process that you just these are the steps you automate it like this and it's done it is something where you have to really rack your brains about you know how is this going to work so we found thoughtworks uh made lords of uh, you know long sessions with them and a very very uh, committed team there and our team uh, the design team is also you know very committed to that so they worked very hard for four years from 2014 to 18 and then we eventually had this platform by 2018 which we call e-design which through a seven stage process allows uh, a customer who buys a home from us to log in and um, design starting with stage 1 which is the wall position so you actually design uh, the floor plan of your home so you could have purchased a three bedroom apartment with three bathrooms from us but you could actually redesign it to have a home office or to become a two bedroom or to add a you know a maids room or a Uh, you know or, or or make some of the rooms larger or smaller make the you know do away with one bathroom or make the kitchen larger anything and then in the second stage you go into every space that you have now closed on go into every individual space and design decide on the furniture layout how do you want the furniture laid out within that room and then once you're done with that then you go into something called the uh, feature enhancement stage where you then add air conditioning or central vacuum or whatever and then and then there's a design studio where you actually select the materials and and then there's functional planning where you go into every wardrobe or a cabinet and decide on the interior shelves and spacing and drawers and all of that and then finally you go into the electrical where you actually select all the switch points what switch connects with what light point and th- things like that and then the last stage is a store where you can actually just go to the store and purchase light fixtures or loose furniture items or rugs or vases and things like that so this whole seven stage process allows you to to completely design your home the way you want it uh this sounds problems. incredible it also sounds incredibly complex because every time you move a wall or you add something to it yeah. there are real world implications yes. stone tiles yeah. masonry structural structural and the uh, mep as well the plumbing electrical all of that absolutely to, yeah. all of this right yeah, yeah so so i mean in some ways that answers why most companies don't do that like in fact oh, yes. it's it's rare like you know i mean uh making typical um real estate companies make even the smallest of changes like adding a few extra switches yeah which causes extra conduiting etc just like yeah. you know becomes like a this thing so 
So all of this is possible with a product approach. Now, if we had hundreds of different home products, it'd be very difficult, right? So when we have a home product and we're repeating it 500 times, then it's this becomes viable. So it's standardization. So, yeah, so we have, for example, I was talking about the D35. So if you have a D35 product, now to create all these options, we have to actually upload them. So one is the platform which you have created, but then after that, what you have to do is create all the different layout options, furniture layout options and everything. And that goes through a series of workshops internally with between all the different teams, the, all the different design teams. They evaluate every single option and understand how it's impacting another area or another, you know, uh, aspect of the building and make sure that there are no conflicting uh, issues or, uh, you know, challenges around that. So a lot of uh, series of workshops, it takes about six months to create all those options and upload them onto the platform for use by a customer for that product. So... And would this only be possible if you're vertically integrated, as I understand, total environment largely is, right? Yes. Most of the things that you do, you do in-house. Correct. So, yes, if you were to go out to a contractor and and give this work and tell him that every single home is going to be different, I don't think anyone's going to be willing to do it, but simply because they can do the simple stuff with all the other, uh, you know, they've got tons of work everywhere else, so why should they complicate their lives and do all of this? So they'd much rather do, you know, where... They tell us that, you know, when we've tried working with contractors, I can do, you know, five times this quantity of work in, in, in the same amount of time. So why would I do your work when I can so do five times? So the corollary to that is Total Environment as a company can do things at a lesser speed than perhaps other real estate companies. Would that be true? That you, you make, like, you know, because you're doing all of these things, by nature, you have to be slower than others. Is that true? Um, I wouldn't say slower than others. Uh, it does take that much more effort. But what we have, uh, so all of these is, uh, there's a process of evolution. So when we started out with smaller numbers, right, 16, 24, whatever. Now when we're doing like more than a few thousand homes. Uh, Sorry, I did not ask you that question. How many homes um, has Total Environment built to date and how many is it building right now? Built and delivered is around uh, 13, 1400 homes mm. and under construction right now is about 4000 and uh, scheduled to get delivered now, uh, you know, is about in the next three years is 2600. And uh, for the first time now we are handing over homes in large batches. Till now we would hand over one, 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 one home. Every home was like, okay, next weekend we're handing over this home. Now we are preparing for a 36, a batch of 36 homes getting handed over you know, in the first week of, uh, the second week of March, and then 72 homes in the next batch. So what that has done is it has forced us to think of things very differently. So we have this whole batching process where we do homes in batches, and then we follow a full kitting concept where you make sure that everything for that, for this batch of homes is there with us before we start the work. So the whole kit is ready with us before we set out to do it. So it actually makes you plan things much, much more than you normally would for a regular construction with the result that speed is not really an issue. You can deliver custom homes, handcrafted of very high quality, also at a very fast pace. And we wish it is just that it takes that much time to get there as a company. So it's taken us many years to be able to evolve the systems and build. So it needs right at the top. It needs very passionate leaders to do it. You need army generals who are making it happen because there are, it's like a war, right? You don't know what's going to, snap somewhere and you know you need to fix it then and there uh so in i mean in terms of planning and then um 
you need to plan all the different uh, aspects and you need to build that rhythm more than anything else the word we use in construction is rhythm you you once the rhythm is in place you find things are moving at crazy speeds uh, and you then don't want to break the rhythm if you could go back in time and change something change a major decision that you took what would that be um i think early years if i had uh, you know spent a lot more time on building in certain processes and systems before just going headlong into it it would have been easier to uh, you know to scale things and manage things better uh, as you grow it becomes more and more difficult to correct that to bring in those kinds of uh, processes um on the people side as well I've, it's taken time but i've learned now you know initially uh i would hire only for talent in the sense uh, qualification and all of that uh, competence right uh, over time you realize that equally or if not more important is commitment and uh, and then further over time i realize that character of a person is also uh plays a very big role you know a person might be very very talented and competent maybe also very committed but if integrity is not there then it starts becoming a problem so those three things uh it it took me quite a long time to realize that and uh and and uh you know in in the whole hiring process um how how do you assess commitment and character typically when you're meeting new people do you have um, any favorite questions any no you know uh, so the the thing that i use is i just talk freely and it's not with a clear plan of or a structure or anything you just finish the conversation and you go back and you reflect on certain things and then you kind of from that you're able to draw uh, it's very intuitive it's you know when you you get a sense of the the integrity and uh, yeah, of course one is never absolutely right about it there are is still right. times when you realize you made a mistake but um um yeah what do you think you add most value to total environment as its ceo <laughs> i still believe it's in the area of design which uh, i'm trying to find more time to get back to and spend more time on design of the product and the projects um um i'm trying and learning and trying to add uh um more value in in just you know providing a sharper sense of purpose to my team and um uh, helping them through ours is a you know business and also our a specific uh, approach to it requires a lot of grit it requires a huge amount of resilience and uh, for that i think what helps is if you're able to if i'm able to celebrate success which i've generally been very bad at you know we we just ignore good things that happen you just move on to the next problem without That's celebrating that's usually a thing with organizations and entrepreneurs and founders who set a very high bar yeah for quality and success that anything that passes that bar yeah. just becomes the norm correct so yeah but i think it becomes a huge uh, you know stress for everybody in the team so if you want to uh, refuel them and all of that so i'm i'm that's an area i'm trying to get better at um 
But yeah, I think spending time with the not just the leadership, but even other other sections of the team, and um, um, marketing. <laughs> Real estate is an area where, unlike other spaces, like the way money is raised or finances are raised, is 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 not very predictable. It's not very yes. easy. It's yes. Has that changed much since the time that you started? Like, you know, I mean, one of the questions that I asked you earlier was, "What's the valuation of the company?" And you're like, "Look, it doesn't matter. We've now got." It. So then, my question is, yeah. you're building thousands of apartments. Right. How are you raising the finances in order to build these, and how is that changing? So uh, when we started out, there was very little funding available for a company like ours. It was just not there. so at that time it was literally customer advances so we would sell uh, even before we had uh, built anything and would build with the customers money uh after a period of time around 2005 6 which is almost 10 years later we started getting construction finance which is after you've got your approvals for the project so you still have to figure out the land purchase so it's but debt yeah so debt and um and after that around 2007 a lot of foreign funds came into india and started offering again debt they would call it they would call themselves private equity funds they would call it equity sometimes just because it was more flexible in terms of repayment but it was never really equity it was always debt uh so 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 debt was available in in different forms and for us specifically so a lot of in india especially real estate is built on this joint development format where you don't therefore pay for the land you uh, find a land partner who's a landlord who owns the land and then you in exchange for the land give them built up area in the project instead of paying for the land for us in the initial years that was not possible because our product was different so landowners would expect uh, the same ratio or the same share of revenue as anybody else was offering them right so if somebody in a location is offering them 30% of the of the built up area they would tell us okay you know your product is great i'm fine i can i can do 28% or 29 but less than that doesn't make any sense whereas for us that number needed to be 20 it just wouldn't work because we are selling furnished homes the custom design the you know the quality the materials everything is that much more expensive and they sell for that much more so we would try to convince them that uh, you look at your realization look at 20% into the sale value and 30% into the other sale value and then look at what's making sense but they wouldn't believe that that sale value would be that much so so initially we had no option but to buy land through debt uh, today now we are able to sign uh, joint development agreements at very different terms from others because of the now people accept that they know that they can get it so that's helped us uh, but otherwise in 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 real estate funding it is still largely debt and uh, that is very honestly an area that needs to be looked into by the uh, by the central government because what that does it is so there in in real estate the biggest challenge is that approvals is extremely unpredictable you have no idea how much time it's going to take you start you you buy a piece of land this is a regulatory approvals all the approvals so real estate companies are like start is is the same as a manufacturing company starting you know if you're doing 10 projects like starting 10 new companies and you do everything from scratch so you buy a piece of land you borrow money thinking that normally it would take 6 months to get approval so you buffer and you say one year and you plan your whole business plan and everything based on one year and then it takes three and a half years because 
laws changed along the way right either at the central level or at the state level or things are just stuck somebody is just not doing anything hl for example refused to approve uh, to give airport nocs for 14 months around 2014 because of some uh, you know scam that had happened in another project and so they just wouldn't approve anything at all so when you have borrowed money and then uh, you know you're sitting on this and then you can't predict when it's going to take off the lenders are even more skeptical about giving you money <laughs> right so even though you're willing to take that risk and borrow uh, so 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 getting money today to buy land for starting your next project is very very difficult it's not not easy for most developers so unless you've got a track record for many years you built and you've therefore got that credibility and all like uh, companies like us who've been around for so many years but for a new company it's very difficult and also and, the other source of funding which is customers who are putting down deposits for new homes that has also been affected because that's been, of rera uh, because of rera so rera doesn't allow that at, anymore uh, so that worked well for those who who used it well so developers who took that money gave a, it was actually beneficial for both parties because the customers would get a deal they would get a much lower price for coming in at the early stage and uh, for a developer once you launched your project you already had a certain amount of sales already closed so it was a very healthy thing as long as you did it well but because of a few people who misused it who you know sold everything off put the money somewhere else and then couldn't actually complete the projects that was banned so rera completely banned the sale of any uh, thing before you start so that took away that funding mechanism completely so so yeah so overall funding is difficult of course you can do an ipo which some developers have done and uh, raise money through the public markets um uh, yeah in our case we, we uh, like you don't you. strike me as the company that yeah. will because then you would have to play the same game everyone else is as Correct. well no but there's also another channel challenge uh, intrinsically with this industry is that it's not a quarter on quarter industry it's you can't show quarter on quarter returns because you're uh like i said the accounting standards itself finds your revenue at the end of the project so your numbers are very lumpy they could be very high in one quarter and extremely low in the next quarter so it's it's crazy so unless you've got a very large number of projects which kind of evens out all of this lumpiness into a you know into something that is fairly uh, predictable it, it it doesn't really work so so it's uh, even for others also ipo is not necessarily a very good channel to raise funds switching back to the way total environment approaches design and you know why did you decide to do a uh, a backward integration for instance as i understand it you manufacture your own bricks you manufacture your own furniture etc right like pretty much all of the things that you do yeah. most companies do not do this right why 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 where did this come from so this came from the realization that if so the aspiration from the beginning was to build these really good quality homes where everything works so and we realized that if we have to do that and we you know looked around at other large construction companies that exist and how you know are they able to do it and we realized that most people are not able to consistently deliver quality at all and especially when it comes to finishing so LNT for example is a very large uh, organization been around for many years uh they able to do phenomenal uh, work when it comes to bridges and dams and flyovers and all those kind of things but when it comes to building something like a housing project it is very tough and they were at least at that time they were not able to do it so uh 
so it became quite clear that the only way one can actually achieve that is by ensuring that there's an owner in the company for each part of the building so we felt we needed to create a team that would uh take ownership for doors and windows another one for you know masonry and plaster another one for electrical plumbing uh furniture flooring and uh and actually the problem also comes from the fact that this industry has never been the whole contracting business construction contracting has never had a concept of a brand or a, it's never been customer centric or there's never been an aspiration to build a name and for quality right it, it's just not there worldwide not not just here right there's no no one who's aspiring to be the best in quality they want to be the biggest right but this that was not there so we couldn't find a single contractor that was like okay this guy can be our partner he wants to do really good work in say in flooring or in electrical and he wants to be like the best electrical contract that aspiration didn't exist for anyone so we realized that so only, to build it. we had to build it ourselves we just realized there's no other way we'll have to build that um, so that we can own that part of the building fully and make sure it's it works so it, so it was not your decision to so we've spoken about this in the past another a company in a very different space which does this is apple yeah. which is like unlike many other companies like you know it has control over its operating system over its design over the components over the chipsets etc and stuff like that so that in many ways is the approach that you've taken what constraints does this impose on you i mean i get that like you know doing all of this allows you yeah. to do things better but what is the cost that you pay for this so obviously because we are doing it in house the at one level the cost is lower because you don't have all the overhead or the profits of an external company that you would pay for and also uh, many of these contracting companies also not really well managed in the sense they they're not they're not thinking of it like that it's a project you go in deliver it so in terms of optimizing costs in terms of you know engineering it much better so in those areas it it actually works out better for us we are more cost effective but uh when you outsource it and this is not really nice but people find ways to take shortcuts and deliver it to you at a lower cost that we don't do and that to that extent it becomes costlier so if you're using a certain marble for example or a certain faucet or whatever right you if we are doing it ourselves we tend to buy the right product and you won't take shortcuts there whereas when you outsource it to a contractor he will find something much cheaper and he'll deliver it to you uh at probably lower than your cost but then the the materials are suffering so so when yeah. you do this i mean i'm sorry it's like a slightly tangential question if you're doing all of these things in house like you said at some point do you look at hey look it looks like we built five six independent companies inside which can do these things very well so why not hypothetically let's say for instance your furniture division yeah why not just let them build more furniture and sell it to others as well has that thought ever entered your mind several times uh in the past and uh, at one time abrar who heads our furniture division when i was telling him about the we were doing kitchens and our kitchens were coming out really nice we said let's shall we go out there and offer these to the rest of the market and he said why would you give the engine of the ferrari to somebody else <laughs> so i i said okay uh point taken but um um i think now we are furniture we are seriously looking at taking it out and uh we instead in fact started the 
taking the steps towards uh, going out there in retail, uh, offering our furniture, a different line. We won't offer what we offer in our total environment homes. It'll be a different line, but we are going to start doing that. When we've met earlier, you've said that one of the biggest, I think, learnings for you came after um, reading Jeb Blount's uh, Fanatical Prospecting. What was that about? That was about sales. So I'm an architect. <laughs> so the last thing that comes to your mind is sales. That you, you just focus on creating a good product and then you hope it sells. And which was fine when we were small. We were uh, selling a few homes in a, in a month. And it worked fine. But as we scaled up and we had windmills with 400 homes and pursuit of radical rhapsody with 11, 1200 homes. Uh, around 2018 is when I realized that you ha you know I have to do something about sales. Uh, we, we can't just uh, expect to sell. And we were, we, we were not selling basically. We were selling at a much lower pace than we needed to for the inventory that we had. So that's when I read this book. And uh, the simple thing, there were many, many things in that book that made it so simple and clear to me about what I needed to change. But the one simple thing was about prospecting. And he just said that if a if a guy sells, um, you know, uh, if a conversion rate of a salesperson is 10%, and if he's able to convert three sales out of, say, 30 leads, um, and, and, and if, if your expectation from one salesperson is to close three sales a month of, of, of a particular product, uh, then he needs to have those 30 leads. He needs to have 30 leads for this month. He needs to have 30 uh, leads for the next month and for the third month. So 90 days pipeline has to be full. And if he closes one sale, he needs 10 more leads. Right? Simple things like this. I never thought of it like that. So the minute a sale is closed, he needs to start prospecting to get 10 more leads in. As long as a person has those 30 leads, he will close three sales. There's no way he will not close three sales. So it is as simple as that, that, you know, you really need to make sure that the lead funnel is, you know, is managed really tightly and that every single person is getting those leads and that they are going out there and, uh, you know. What did you do differently to generate more leads? So we actually, actually at that point in time, reading uh, Jeb Blount's book, I realized uh, quite a few things. And uh, so we made a list of actually 23 things that we needed to do uh, immediately to bring about that change in our sales. So, um, um, you know, simple things like the number of team members. We had uh, 12 people in the sales team and we did a simple math and realized for the kind of inventory we've got to sell, we need to ramp that number up to 80. <laughs> and how much so, did you actually ramp it up to? Right now, we are a little over um, including sales and the, all the other supporting functions are supporting sales, uh, sales response and all that. It's a little over 100 people right now. Um, so... So, so we did all those 23 things. It included, uh, you know, for a short period of time, for about a year, because it takes time to ramp up the team, it included, uh, you know, uh, temporarily moving people from other functions into sales, or at least in, on the weekends and the evenings to contribute to sales. So people from HR, structural design, landscaping, guys were doing sales in the evenings and the weekends to, to pitch in. Uh, we realized we needed to hire someone who would uh, head the whole function and you know, really uh, do all of these things and drive it like crazy, just as passionate as everybody else in the team. And we found that person and um, Samir, and he's he's been leading the sales function from that time. Um, embracing channel partners. <clears throat> in the, before that, we would only sell ourselves direct, but we realized that there's a huge network. So this whole concept of distribution, right? 
so you distribute that to all these channel partners and also different uh, parts of the world. the other thing that was very <clears throat> insightful for me in an interview with a sales guy from coca cola was that uh, so i would always s- s- uh, simplistically think that you know like a silver bullet approach you you go out there do this big campaign and you will sell maybe 100 crores and this guy made me realize that coca cola which i think in those days was 17000 crores or something you know they had a a team that would do army canteens 350 crores or you know cinema theaters 150 crores they had broken it down to all these small 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 pieces and each of these teams focused on just that little piece and you know when we would send out a team for example to say dubai and they would spend a whole month and we would do all this planning and all of that and they would come back with 5 crores of sale i would feel like oh this is a waste let's just stop it and and i realized that that's not how it works you need to keep doing that for that 5 crores and you need to do something else in another place for another 10 crores and you you know you break so, this down diversification so, and focus yeah just breaking it down into so it's basically simple i think the simplest thing was that sales is just a lot of hard work and it is quantity of work into time that gives you sales <laughs> yeah you how much of hours on the phone how many people you can get on the phone with how many customers for how many hours i mean that that's that's what will the more of this the more more the sales of course as provided your product is good and all of those things what are some of the first principles that you typically turn to when you're faced with problems that you haven't encountered before i think uh, so this whole value of authenticity which means um just seeing the problem for what it is and not getting muddled up with other uh peripheral things um we kind of tend to do that anyways from from the beginning so um so i i don't think i ever had a situation where i don't know what to do uh i mean there are times you get into a dilemma for other reasons but um uh, uh, it's it's largely been about how to do it right you you know that this needs to be done but it sounds like it's just not doable and uh so how do you find a way to make it work and very often you find uh you're able to find uh solutions which uh, so uh, you know I can give you some examples. <laughs> sure. So uh, in our land transactions, right? So sometimes landowners want something far more than uh, what can, what works for you. And there was this one instance where a landowner wanted, in exchange for his land, he wanted a certain amount of money. Plus, he also wanted sixty thousand square feet of built-up area in an office space to be given to him right in the front. And we negotiated, and we found that at the end of it all, the max we can do is thirty thousand. and plus that amount of money and it was not working but we needed that land it was inside windmills of your mind it was right in the middle and we wanted him to give us that so that the we can complete the whole project and moved him to the front and um, he said no and i after discussing with his family and everything he came back and he said the we can't come down below 45000 that's it so then uh, you know went back and then realized that if we were to lease out that building for a year the rental income would offset the cost of that 12000 square feet so i went back and told him that can i give you the building one year later and take the rent earn that rent for myself for one year he said no problem so the, so it got solved that way so very often these kind of solutions especially in our business where you are always dealing with large amounts of money 
you will find ways to make these deals work and sometimes just about turning things this way or that way and it's all about perception so in this case it was time value of money which he didn't value he valued the product the asset, the asset even if it comes one year later for me it's just about how to make it all work so uh, yeah but uh, coming back to i think your question was more around principles um i i think uh, authenticity came up a couple of times in our conversation yeah. why is that so important uh the reason i keep talking about it again and again is that i find it very difficult to deal with the fact that most companies don't give it the important any importance at all right uh, and everyone is just trying to figure out what other, others are doing and then find ways to you know fashion designers looking at you know what is gucci doing next and how do i become better than them why are they not just thinking from first principles of what is you know so so yeah so that's why it's it's very it's also very frustrating when you you know, why is everybody not it's, it's it's simple and it's not it's it's very easy right you can see a problem you can see the solution in the problem why why is everybody not working that way so that's why it keeps coming up again and again the sense that i get is that over the last 26 27 years there have been many times when you had the opportunity to grow faster by doing certain things in a different way but yeah. you chose to say no to those which is which is why where you are so my my question really is saying yes is often easier than saying no true you've said no to a lot of things along the way as a company as an entrepreneur and a founder what are the things i mean typically when you say no what guides you in fact uh, just to tell you i've realized over the years that i've not said enough no and now i'm learning to say no much more uh, you know um what guides me is simply i mean you know that this is not going to it just doesn't make sense right so if there's so why so, would you in an earlier like you said you yeah. should have said no many times earlier in those times why did you say yes uh, so those are uh, things like for example signing up small projects and i said that purely out of the temptation of getting the opportunity to design something on kasturba road or on you know uh, lal in a in a very nice location it's in the heart of the city so just that whole opportunity to create something nice but when you look back and you realize the amount of bandwidth that took away from your larger projects it would have been better to have said no and now i do get these opportunities coming to me again and i'm like no <laughs> very tempting love to do it but no so uh it's simply about the the focus and the desire to create that impact more uh uh more effectively and also i think uh the amount of stress on and uh, stress in the sense in terms of amount of work and you realize you've taken on so much you're consciously trying to cut down things that are, that don't make sense and just focus on what makes sense so you can do it more peacefully how do you do that by devolving more by hiring more how do you take on fewer things yourself so mm-hmm. that you can devo- because doing fewer things means giving up some things yeah i was talking about doing fewer things as, at a company level itself all right because that itself i think we're doing a lot because you know, like you pointed out right when you're custom designing and then trying to do everything backward integration all of that it just adds up that much more that many more things to manage and therefore you need to cut down somewhere else so 
maybe the product approach or the number of projects. Um, but yeah, so so the ways are around standardization, product approach, um, uh, software platform. Yeah. All of those things help in. Uh, Got that. How many people report to you at Total Environment? I'm very embarrassed to say. There's <laughs> 32 people report to me. That, is, that is an that incredibly is, large span of control. Yes, yes, that is a that is a problem. It's not good. I'm trying trying to fix it. It is a uh, it is difficult. Yeah. So I mean I I don't mean to go much deeper into that, but what is it? It's it's obviously a um. a symptom of something and that you have 32 people reporting to you and you yourself say it's a problem right so is it so, is it a founder doing too many things by themselves is it something else um it's multiple things i think um so so we have project ceos uh who head each project and own the whole project so they report to me we have four project ceos uh we have design teams that are leading the design on different projects i I believe I add value there so I work with these teams very closely with the design teams um it's very difficult to put them under somebody else because then that idea gets diluted in the whole approach uh we have business heads like the FNB business or property management and things like that which also then report to me um i think it's uh, I don't have an really, or to be honest, the right answer there. I think uh, trying to find a solution for it. Um, it's also because these teams have grown over the years and they've been working with me. It also becomes very difficult for somebody to accept that they might not work directly with me and with somebody else. So that also becomes a challenge. And so it's just something I'm with for so many years. What are the three or four buckets that consume roughly eighty percent of your work week? of my time yeah uh for the last uh, few years the last i would say 4 to 5 years or maybe a little bit more funding um sales uh when you say land, funding and typical work with means conversations with conversations vendors. business plan models financial models uh figuring out ways just strategy just thinking about you know how do we get some funds for this thing or for that thing so finding different ways to make it happen uh yeah lots of meetings with fund presenting to them who we are and, and making sure you know they understand what it, what it is working with them to just um, helping them to understand so the one challenge that we always have is because we are different our numbers are everything is different from others so everybody needs a lot of time to understand what are we doing and why is it like this so so that um construction project management uh, we have our you know monthly and now weekly uh, reviews which have day long with every team so just being with them making sure uh, you know we are all aligned so one of the things is because there are all these different moving parts all these different teams uh, just making sure that everybody is working together in unison uh, every week is in itself uh, uh, you know a, a big uh, task to make that happen uh besides that design of course i still spend a decent amount of time uh, i would say 20 30% of my time on design which is quite a lot um uh, and i've been over the last couple of months been able to get a lot more back into design this also because we're doing a quite a few new projects and uh hr so all the areas marketing i do spend a lot of time on marketing logically following from this what are some of the things that you spend time on 
but do not enjoy but they definitely deliver value as ceo funding <laughs> sales hello uh, you know land acquisition and uh, dealing with, with landlords striking uh, transactions with the landlords all of those things i definitely add value but i don't enjoy at all all of these things when yeah. someone comes to you with a problem or a slip deadline or a resignation how do you decide it's something that you are going to get involved in or somebody else will deal with so one thing that i'm that i've started using which is helping me is uh, this this guy peter diamandis i attended a workshop with him and uh, he said this very simple thing he said don't ask don't ask how ask who so what does that mean which means whenever you have a problem don't try to start solving it ask who in my company is going to solve it ask yourself right so so i do that to myself now is like okay let me not try to do this who's which guy in the my team can you know can take this up and do it so that is kind of helping me to are delegate you, more do you think you're effective at that are you doing it it is helping yes it is that just that you know stop for a second and instead of solving the problem right then and there don't do it because that is your natural founder that's my, instinct that's my founder instinct and that's very strongly inbuilt it's just impossible to shake out of so the only way i'm able to do it is this by every time stopping myself say, no let me not do it who can do it and then i talk to that person and so i definitely made a change there because this founder yeah. instinct is in some ways it's self reinforcing because the more times you do it the less time somebody else gets to be able correct, to correct, handle such situations and therefore it absolutely. over time it just becomes like correct um self reinforcing absolutely yes It's, that's bad so what are some of the things that you definitely refuse to do when it comes to your operational style or management or leadership um definitely refuse to do in terms of work yeah work um anything that is repetitive <laughs> i find it difficult to do so i try to spend the time rather kind of standardizing it or putting a process behind it so that it doesn't i don't know we just keep doing the same thing but um it's not that i refuse to do it but i, ha- I hate doing it um refuse to do i'll move to a different question go do you have certain stock responses uh pet phrases that people may hear when they come to you um for feedback or a review or something like that that you know that they're likely to hear multiple folks at total environment are likely to have heard from you i'm going to have to ask by email find out what that is i now i'm intrigued actually and uh, i i can't think of right. anything of hand in your words what is it that you and only you as ceo bring to total environment that someone else may not be able to in a hypothetical environment where we replace kamal sagar with someone else same number of years of experience I, what I, would that other person not bring i think uh, just this very clear uh, desire to do something that will contribute something to the world and not anything else right so just regardless of everything that you you you're clear that if you're if it's a project uh we're so we're doing like our a first net positive sorry please go ahead we're doing our first plotted development project 
we never done that in the past now that to, means you're selling plots of land yeah we're just buying a we're just taking a big uh, 120 acre plot of land and just cutting it into plots and selling now uh so where and, is and this and why this is in north bangalore and why? largely the reason to do this is to uh, generate faster cash flows at kind of generating our own equity because you can sell it uh pretty fast and uh, you can so complete tell me the it goes back to the windmills of your mind decision that you have to make that you have land and you have the ability to turn it around faster and generate returns which goes back yeah in, uh, that's one nice way to look at it so it's very simple that if you uh, so you know if you do this it's a simple thing and the one thing that a customer is looking for is trust in this area of buying land and that's something that we have right we have built that brand so we know we'll be able to sell well uh what it will do for us is it will generate a certain amount of surplus cash which we can use in our projects in our larger projects and so it kind of gives us more equity money to pump into our projects so that was the reason to do it but even there though that is very clearly the goal we in this one of these properties where we are doing this has got this beautiful eucalyptus forest it's got some like really nice uh, mango trees it's got a very nice rain tree and uh, you know all of this so to so attempt it so the approach is to Uh, you can say tempted <laughs> but to make sure that these are you know well utilized in what we are creating there so that uh, and we realize that through this we can actually create something very interesting which will bring in that value to the end uh, end buyer so everywhere there is always potential to use uh, to to understand the situation or the problem and then find a solution that is uh, fit for that problem what do you think If you look back, what are the top two or three failures that Total Environment, as a company, would have made? Either misses, failures that you look back. Lots, actually. Uh, I think some of the land purchases that we did, uh, we were very uh, naive, uh, trying to buy land in Mysore without, uh, you know, uh, we started around the year two thousand eight when the market was booming, and we felt Bangalore is growing like crazy now. Mysore is next, and. uh though the land was very cheap uh but you know we trusted people there to uh, from with whose help you bang and they took us for a ride and <laughs> we uh, ended up losing a lot of money there so land acquisition generally uh, even in in pune and in uh, uh, where we bought some land in pune as well <clears throat> i think directly buying land aggregating land directly from farmers and stuff like that is a, is a different business altogether and i think that is a blunder that we made we, we we ended up making money though in both cases more than we do in projects because land is where you do make money and but it was a huge amount of bandwidth uh, strain on the company uh, so that was a mistake um hiring there's been lots of i you know if we'd just been more careful more thought it out better we could have avoided a few wrong hires which then end up creating uh, challenges in the company for a whole year or so and then you know all of that um uh so you said something which seemed counterintuitive you said land is where you make more money shouldn't it be the other way around because when you make apartments on it and you're selling it you're essentially multiplying the amount of money that you can make from land or did you just mean in a time period like if you bring in time it's quicker to turn land around yeah so in in a in a with time value in mind it's definitely quicker to turn Uh, turn around land but even even keeping that aside overall with just land you you make much more money than you do through construction through projects but i mean which, intuitively which is, i'm unable to wrap my mind around that because 
when you buy and s- like you know when you build on land and sell you're selling yeah you would like, think you know, that multiple adding, times over yeah you would think you're adding more value and therefore you should be able to and you're no, selling to more people because no, a think. land can only be divided into yeah, like you know squares or rectangles but like now you've got the vertical space as well correct but uh, i can show you the math it's it's <laughs> very simple you will not be able to make the same amount of money on the project as you can on the land the, the vagaries of the whole business are such that today um uh, you know so you you end up absorbing all of that through uh, you actually end up making the money only because the land appreciated in the course of that project and therefore value appreciated but um uh, that's the sad truth what has parenting taught you um i think uh, i think firstly i have to admit i i i sh- should have spent more time with my kids i think uh, i i think total my mind sucked away a lot of me um but uh, otherwise um i guess it's just taught me to be i thought i'm an open minded guy and very you know innovative and all of those things <laughs> but it's taught me that you you need to be much more open minded you need to uh, think beyond what your limits of you know your world is you tend to stay in your framework of what you think the world is but kids are completely from a different uh, you know especially our kids who've grown up in the technology era uh their whole um, their world is very different and i think just understanding that world is uh, requires you to be very open minded how do you rate your performance on a scale of 1 to 10 as a ceo and as a parent as a parent i'm sorry it's really bad probably <laughs> <What laughs> 5 or 6 all right as a ceo i don't know uh there are good things and there are bad i would say i would probably say maybe 6 7 maybe a 7 in some ways uh there's some good things that i did <laughs> are there things that you do hobbies interests that others might find quirky uh music i think the to the extent to which i just love music and maybe some people think it's quirky um um is that because of your choice of music or your both actually i know you're um, a jazz aficionado but why do you say uh, quirky choices no not just jazz i listen to music from crazy like italian a lot of latin music from a lot of cuban music uh, all kinds of music actually right from i i love even uh, you know disco and so uh, western classics so Uh, so not so much uh, yeah of course some of the pieces are and people might think of it as quirky but also uh, i guess just the amount of time and depth to which <laughs> you spend on music something like that if you were locked in a room for 24 hours without any internet what would you do to pass time uh, either read or listen to music or design something what are some of the recent books that you've read that you've enjoyed um i read dan ariely's uh, predictably irrational that was a crazy book i've been reading uh, beyond entrepreneurship 2.0 jim collins 
uh, attributes by uh, this guy, Rich Diviney, Navy SEALs guy, very, very, very interesting. And um, so are you largely a non-fiction reader? For the last, I, I, I used to love fiction all my childhood. Do you now find it impossible I, to read impossible. fiction? I'm not able to find the time or I'm not able to focus on a book on fiction unless it's um, really, I mean, I've not found a book in the last 20 years. Only is that at some level because you're like I could be using this time to? Yeah, it is that. Unfortunately, it's sad. It's, it's it is it's that. Very hard I would to love to le- read. You know, one of the books that I've loved the most is The Count of Monte Cristo mm. and Tale of Two Cities. And uh, so I I would really love to read those books again. It used to transform. You know, just take you to another world. I'm not able to do that. Uh, what does personal time for you look like? It's not really there for last many years. Uh, you just jumping from one thing to the other all the time. Uh, personal time is on an international flight <laughs> when I refuse to connect to the Wi-Fi <laughs> or you know, somewhere when you're not connected to the rest of the world. That's the only personal time and it's uh, largely even then working but at least working on things that you long-term, larger, strategic things and things like that. Uh, but other than that, uh, while driving, I listen to music. I'm always adding to my playlist so uh, sampling so are you a Spotify user or an Apple Music user iTunes 6 out of 10 times when you're eating out is there a favorite dish that you'll order uh, yeah I'm, I love Indian food um, a lot so there, there are there are favorite dishes at every place <laughs> so I typically what would people be some know of the about it I don't even need to order what would be some of the top ones so at uh, Lapis at the Oberoi, there is this dish called Dhungar uh, Ka Dhungar. Uh, it's a lamb dish. It's called Dhungar Masala or something. It is from Lucknow with the Chur Chur Paranta. It's like a broken Paranta. So that's the dish there. Um, there is um, Dal Makhani and Tandoori in at uh, uh, Masala Club at Taj uh, West End or even at our... Actually, we make better Dal Makhani than even them at uh, Windmills at Grandscape in Texas. And uh, like the like unbelievable, but really awesome dal makani better than your Moria Sheraton or any 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 other place in the world. All right. And <laughs> what does focus mode look like for you? Focus when you're mode. Focusing on some deep work that you need to kind of do. What does that look like? Does that happen often? It happens uh, very often. It's at home. It's uh, on Saturdays and Sundays, uh, all weekends, any any other off days like tomorrow, uh, and sometimes it's. I take off from work and sit at home and work on a Wednesday maybe. So that's in my room. I have a home office where it's completely closed. Nobody gets in. So it's uh, my physical music. isolation as well in order. Yeah, completely. I can't work if there's my dogs running around and everything else happening. I'm not able to. Shivani is very good at that. She works. She loves to work with everything else going on. She can't work in a closed setting. Whereas I'm the exact opposite. I can't work with. So I have like my music is playing for sure. But. And then I'm just doing my own thing. And I spend many, many, many hours on my own. On a scale of 1 to 10, how happy are you with life? <laughs> I I have extreme highs and lows. So I have, I, I would say I'm 10 and minus 10 at the same time, all the time. <laughs> what does so, that mean? Like, you know. So, uh, very happy with many things. Extremely happy. Extremely happy with many things and extremely unhappy with many things. 
to the point. I mean, it's exactly like I said, minus ten and plus ten. It's not nine and nine also. It's ten. <laughs> it's so the lows are uh, mostly to do with um, you know just the way. Funding is, for example, and how you have to. But this deal is life. This is on a scale of one to ten, the life you've lived till now. On balance. Yeah, I I think um, no that way it's it is. I'm very happy. It is, so it's a ten. It's just I think, yeah, and even this this minus ten and whatever I spoke about is a passing phase. I think the last few years, from seventeen to maybe about twenty, twenty uh, or twenty twenty one. Were very very difficult. Were very tough. Thanks to the pandemic. Thanks to the pandemic. Before that, all the other things, the whole everything leading up to that, right? Demonetization and and lots of things. The market was slow, so we had to deal with real, really, uh, you know, very very difficult times. So those are the. So now, uh, so I know that on the whole, been always very very happy. So it's just uh, certain phases, and there's been a lot of learning during those phases. So I I know what not to do there. So to the questions that you asked earlier about. Some of the mistakes. I think just the manner in which we've done funding, I think, needed to be different. But there are not too many options, honestly. Uh, so one has to work with what's there. Which morning of the week do you look forward to the most? Is there any such day? Um, I love my weekends because I get to do my own thing. I'm still a very, I, you know, you can. introvert or whatever but i i love to have my own time so i i yeah is there anything new that you've tried recently an experience a product anything that is out of the way not really no i would love to but i haven't uh-huh. uh, yeah. there is this concept called the spouse test mm-hmm. given how much time A founder spends with a co-founder, like you know. But in your case, the spouse test doesn't make so much sense because you and Shibani are both um, together, uh, yeah. you know, husband and wife, as well as co-founders. How does that affect your relationship and total environment? I think uh, from the beginning we've been very clear about a couple of things. Uh, we're both architects, and. you know as a, as a designer you everyone is very different and you know that what you're thinking is not going to be the same as say in my case shibani so so you make those you don't actually write those rules or define them somewhere they just get defined on their own so you know that if so if i'm designing a project then shibani will give me ideas and suggestions but she will not insist because it's my project and the same the other way around when she's doing something I will suggest, but I'll leave it to her to make the final decision because it's hers. So that those are the boundaries uh, with work. Um, other than that, I think it's. Uh, I think the we understand each other really well. I think <laughs> so. It's worked well that way. My last question: If you had the option of being able to come up with a one word nickname that you would like to be known for or as what might that be is there a phrase or a word that comes close to what you would want to be known as i'm um, no i don't mind 
I I can't think of anything. <laughs> Andres, thanks a lot, Kamal, for Thank this conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Lovely, always lovely talking to you. Hello again. It's Rohan. If you enjoyed the episode, then you might scratch that. You will enjoy the other podcasts from the Ken. There's a thrice weekly daybreak where Snigda Sharma takes you inside a business story that is worth understanding and worth your time. And there's cost to company, the fortnightly show co-hosted by Sneha Vakharia and Shrivar Chotaria that delves into and explains the biggest trends shaping India's workplaces. If business, entrepreneurship and careers is what you're interested in, the ultimate upgrade would be getting yourself a subscription to the Ken that unlocks numerous subscriber-only long-form stories, newsletters and infographics each week. We have subscriptions for individuals, corporate teams, entire organizations and colleges. Just head over to theken.com. <laughs>